back to Movie Fixers, the show where we don't just critique movies, but talk about how they could have been better. I'm your host, Tony, and with me today, as always, as always will be, as you like it, is... <laughs> Matt, it's me, the other host of Movie Fixers. How's it going, Tone? It's going pretty well. Uh, just a heads up to our audience, we're both having a little bit of connectivity issues today, so we're uh, going to try and struggle through that, but just bear with us. So, Matt, uh, are we ready to tell people what movie we're fixing today? Oh, absolutely. Uh, do you want me to tell them about the good news? Yes, share the good news with us, Matt. Today we will be doing Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi is the most recent installment in the main Star Wars saga. Um, the most recent Star Wars movie is the Han Solo movie just called Solo. But we will be doing Star Wars The Last Jedi, which is episode 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Hold on. Which episode is this? 8? Episode 8. Star Wars Episode 8. The Last Jedi. Yep. Uh, some fun facts about this film is uh, it made, oh gee, just opening weekend, $220 million over that actually, when it came out uh, 17th December last year. This is probably one of the most recent films we've ever fixed too, wouldn't you think? Oh, this is this is actually the most recent film that we'll have fixed on this show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's fun to say we're fixing this film. It did make six hundred twenty million gross in the U.S. and over a billion three hundred million <laughs> worldwide. So I think uh, I think some might argue that this movie doesn't need fixing. How do you feel about that, Matt? Um, I mean, it's an interesting question because, I mean, we don't like to use Rotten Tomatoes as the end-all, be-all of things, but, you know, this is a movie, this will be the highest Rotten Tomatoes score movie that we've done on this show. It had a 91%, um, and I think for good reason, a lot of that, um, I think the reason that we wanted to do this movie is partially because we're fans of the franchise and partially because this movie was very uh, divisive. Uh, among not just fans but also just the audiences you know i remember when we when i saw this movie i came out and i loved it had a great time and i just assumed everyone else loved it and had a great time and started talking to you and our friend jason and all kinds of our other friends and and the feedback on this movie was kind of all over the place and the more i talked to you guys i definitely saw the, the holes and the problems and the things that we'd want to change. So while I was reluctant to do this movie when we first put it on, you know, we have a whole list of movies right. that we want to eventually do on this show. And when we first put this on the list, I think I was very like, I don't understand why we're even fixing this movie. It's perfectly fine. If not, you know, bordering on actually pretty good. And I think the more we've talked about it, the more I've come around to there's, there's definitely some room for a fix on this one. What, what did you think? Um, I remember seeing it in theaters and I was really on, it was always hit or miss for me. I was like, I'd get into it. I'd be like, all right, no, okay, you've got this. And then they do something or something would happen in the plot and I would just be like, huh? Or what? Why? And, and I'd have to like, I feel like I, I kept having to get back on the ride or it was like a start and stop. And... I mean, if we were if we were to compare this to to a house like we do, I'd say it's like a half finished home 
where some of it is just finely polished and great, and then there are still places where the walls aren't up. You've just got the support beams, and you're like, <laughs> what What were they thinking? Or, or maybe you could argue that, you know, some of it is very tasteful, and other parts of other rooms are just super tacky, and you're just like, what were they thinking? You've got, like, this nice marble, you know, countertop here in this bathroom, and the next one looks like they just shopped out of Ikea, which which actually Ikea is pretty cool. That's a little mean, but you get you get what I'm saying. Right, I understand the parlance. <laughs> All right, so I have a quick question before we go into the just the summary of this movie. For people who maybe don't watch everything Star Wars, I find it hard to believe too many of our listeners are them, but just, just for those, you know, one or two, how many other Star Wars related movies or content should they watch before watching this movie? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think you and I both come from a similar place of we've been in the fandom. I mean, I think you even more than me, but I mean, I know when I was a kid, I was all about owning all the Star Wars encyclopedias and the card games and all those things. And so I, I definitely come from a place personally of having a lot of background knowledge of the franchise and the lore. And again, I know you actually even more so than me. Um, with this being episode eight, um, and Star Wars numbering is wonky because they came out in the order of episodes four, five, six, one, two, three, and then seven. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's unreasonable to say that that people need to have seen at least the last movie, episode uh, seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Force Awakens. Seven. Because these movies are divided up into trilogies, and this is the second film in the newest trilogy. So I would say at least they need to have seen seven. I mean, obviously, to really understand the weight of certain character choices and deaths and, and, and things of that nature, it's good to have seen all of them. Because then you'll recognize who people are, you'll understand their backstory, their intent better, um, their relationships better, all of that. But I don't know. I think to answer your question shorter than I have already, uh, <laughs> I would say at least see the the previous film, Episode 7, The Force Awakens. I, I think I can agree with that. One of the things, uh, and I'll touch on this more later, I think that this particular movie did well was not lean too heavy on all of the gravitas that was pre-established yes it, it used that you know there were certain moments that were iconic if you followed the franchise but it didn't rely on that for you to f- enjoy the film yeah and just to elaborate on that a little bit um the director ryan johnson who's known for looper and some other movies i'm sure but that, i know him from looper with uh bruce willis and what's his name in it uh I that was very purposeful on his part. He he didn't want to stay beholden to I mean they'd already thrown out a lot of the extended universe canon in the last film. You know, Disney made the decision when they acquired Star Wars as a property that they weren't going to hold themselves hostage with the you know the holocron, the huge database of books and movies and TV shows and video games and card games and like all these things, this world that they'd built, this universe that they'd built that had very fixed points in it. 
they they weren't going to do that. They were going to treat the movies themselves and some of the TV shows as hard canon and everything else was considered like basically an alternate universe at this point. And I think Ryan Johnson wanted to go a step further with this film and say all these things that you hold holy, you know, the Jedi Order and the rules of the Sith and things like that. I, I'm just going to say, you know what, I don't you know, I want to tell stories with this and that's that's what I want to do. And there's, I think, a lot of merit to that from my personal perspective, but I can absolutely see how that bothered quite a few people. Yeah, and I think we can get into that uh, in a little bit. And if not here, then I definitely want to do like a smaller podcast like we talk about, about the influence of the fandom in a franchise or series and oh yeah that's a great idea mm -hmm. yeah maybe we don't get into that here because we've got a lot to talk about speaking of which how do you feel about summarizing the plot of star wars the last jedi <laughs> um i think i can do a pretty good job with this it again i think it's important that you've seen the last movie for the force awakens um, before going into this, because it much like Empire Strikes Back did back in the you know early eighty or was it seventy nine eighty whenever it was, it kind of drops you back into the story without giving you an awful lot of who everyone is and what they're doing. Um, when Last Jedi starts, uh, Finn, uh, our stormtrooper defector from the last movie, is still unconscious with the the rebels um poe dameron our you know flyboy our pilot is taking on a what is he taking on a a dreadnought class it, star destroyer yes, it's a it's a dreadnought it's it's a version of the uh star destroyer which is the enemy ship like kind of the big cruiser ship from yeah, it's like a battleship in space mm -hmm. and uh so he's he's on a mission uh, he completes most of his mission and is told to come back by General Leia Organa, and he decides, you know what, I know better than anybody what to do. We have got our opportunity to take down a dreadnought. We're going to take it out, and you know, against orders, assaults the base and effectively takes down the dreadnought. Um, but a lot of lives are lost in the process, and uh, he gets reprimanded and demoted because he, even though he did do a good thing. A lot of lives were lost in the process, and you know she says something about um, a, there were a lot of heroes today, and she says, "Yeah, a lot of dead heroes." So that you know an inherent conflict is set up there. Uh, we check back in with Ray, our our hero from the last film that uh, we left last. We left off. She got to the island where. Uh, Luke Skywalker and if you don't know who Luke Skywalker is then this this whole podcast is probably going to seem pretty boring to you uh, but he's a main character from the whole franchise uh, he's been in hiding um, in seclusion off on this island and she's found him and she's gone to him to, for training and he she thinks that he's going to be like oh you found me you know I'm going to teach you all about the ways of the Jedi in the forest and he's just not interested in doing it. He he he. She hands him his lightsaber, and he throws it over his shoulder. And he's just kind of like, you know, fuck it. I don't want to do this. So she's left there to try and convince him to te to to not only teach her the ways of the Force, but become involved again in the conflict of the galaxy. This conflict that he didn't want any part of. Um, 
I don't know. You want to take it from there? I feel like I'm losing a little bit of my momentum. No, that's fine. Yeah. So one of the unique things that is happening to Rey at the same time she's trying to learn from Luke Skywalker is she has a connection with Kylo Ren, like an actual mental, they can see each other, they can communicate to each other connection that they don't understand. And this is brand new. And they're not sure how it's happening. But Kylo Ren, if you're not familiar, is the villain. He's, he's a very conflicted villain, unlike the Darth Vader of the original series, who was very obviously the villain uh, up until the very, very end. Spoilers. Kylo Ren is... He, you feel like he's on the fence. You, you learn throughout this movie just how much he's ready to hop over to one side of that fence by the end. But So they're, they're having a very interesting dynam- dynamic where they're sharing information with each other kind of because they have this connection and they don't know what to do with it. Uh, meanwhile, Kylo Ren is leading the First Order, which is the new empire, after the Rebel fleet. They've The Rebels have discovered that the First Order has a way to track them when they go through hyperspace or light speed. I think right, that they use both yeah, interchangeably. I think they do, you're right. And it's important to point out that up until this point in the entire series of Star Wars, that was not possible. Once mm-hmm. you hit faster than light, light speed, hyperspace, whatever they're calling it, uh, you are not able to be tracked. But the First Order has figured out how to do it, and they figure out that it's being done from their lead ship specifically. And um, at this point, sorry, I'm just going to take over for a second. At this point, Poe has gone back to base. Like I said, he's been reprimanded. He's run into Finn, who has woke, has awakened himself from his coma or whatever. He, he was being healed from the last movie, basically. And he Finn decides he wants to desert. He doesn't want to be there. Um, he decides this battle isn't for him. And he wants to grab an escape pod, get off the ship, and not even be, and get as far away from this conflict as possible. I want to specifically because on that if he wants. I, can. Or I was maybe just going to say specifically. To I just interrupted you. You keep going. <laughs> I think I was uh, specifically. It's not just that he's a coward by any means. He specifically wants to go find Ray, who is his friend from the last movie, and. He wants to go find her and make sure that she's okay. Was there something else you wanted to clarify, or was that it? Nope, that's it. I, you got there. I was. I would okay. have started with that, but you know. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's all coming back to me a little bit. So, anyways, he's he's about to leave, and a character whose name or uh, her name is Rose. Uh, you find out later she's the sister of a character that died earlier in the film, but they dropped that pretty quickly. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, he or she, sorry, Rose, encounters Finn trying to leave and recognizing recognizes him as the great hero Finn and is just like all about him until she realizes that he was in fact trying to leave and desert and she stuns him and takes him out. Uh, through a series of conversations, they figure out that um, between the two of them, they could disable this tracking and the fleet could get away. So they take this plan to Poe Dameron, who is looking over his beloved general, Princess Leia, or sorry, General Leia, who is now unconscious. Uh, I think I skipped, we, did we skip over when she went unconscious? Yeah, I was <laughs> trying to do more highbrow. Yeah, so one of the things is Kylo's flying around in a little starship TIE fighter and shoots the bridge out of the main ship that Leia was in. So she goes flying into space, but 
because she's a Skywalker, the force she basically instinctively tunes into the force and force pulls herself back into the ship before dying because and I will say this because I mean it, that is actually how the force works. That's something a Jedi could theoretically do. Especially sure. if you're it, it, one is she powerful. had kind of a mm-hmm. A force-sensitive Mary Poppins kind of moment. It was, yeah, she's not cool. a trained Jedi in the traditional sense, but anybody who thinks that Leia is A, not force-attuned, or B, unable to at least instinctively tap into the force is just wrong. So I'm just right. putting that out there. I'm not very. Def- I'm not usually this definitive about things, but but that's just something I know. I've, like you said, Matt, I've, I've really followed stuff for a long time, so that totally holds up, even though a lot of people got upset about that. Right. So cut back to uh, Rose and Finn have taken this plan to Poe. Poe decides that once again, he knows better than the new acting general uh, played by Laura Dern, whose name I cannot remember right now, but it's Laura Dern from Jurassic Park. Holdo. She's General Holdo. Admiral Holdo. Or Admiral. She becomes Admiral because lots of other people die. Lots of people die in this movie. That's an important thing to Lots of people die in this movie. Point out. Um, so anyways, it brings the plan to Poe. Poe decides once again he knows best, and that he's gonna keep, they're gonna keep this plan just between them. So they contact Maz. Maz is her name, right, from the first film, played mm-hmm. by Lupita Nyong'o, um, about getting a code breaker to help get them onto the the lead star destroyer. Not just a code breaker, Matt. A master code. A master code breaker. They say master code breaker five times in the film. I know because I counted. So they need a master code breaker. And of course, it can't be anybody cool like Lando Calrissian, which would have been an awesome, awesome moment in this movie, but it's not Lando Calrissian. They're directed to this casino planet uh, where they've got to go basically find a guy wearing a special uh, flower on his shirt. And I don't know. I this whole storyline I can't stand, but we'll go through it. So they go to this planet, and they go to this this planet. It's a it's a planet full of super super the wealthiest people. Um, there's this casino. Uh, they find the master code breaker played by Justin Thoreau, uh, but things go awry as things are wont to do in Star Wars films, and they end up getting arrested um, for parking their ship illegally, which is sort of silly. But anyways. While they're arrested, they run into, um, oh man, what's his name? I know he doesn't get a name in the movie because it's like a whole thing people were kind of weird about, but what's the, Benicio Del Toro. There you go. They run into Benicio Del Toro's character in prison, who turns out to also be a master codebreaker, conveniently enough. Mm-hmm. And they decide to all break out together with the help of BB-8. Uh, there's a whole bit about, you know, this, you know gluttony of wealth and you know how do people get this risk without basically playing both sides of a war and you know putting weapons in the hands of evil people there's a whole thing about that which i think could have been cool but it felt a little softly executed where are we with uh luke right now luke and ren yeah so luke is acquiesced to giving three lessons to ray uh all of which are amazing and so Ray is staying, you know, in the kind of island. You're, did you actually? We did. We mention that island is an that they're on is is a not only a real island, but the the huts that they stayed in are real huts from like a monastery back in the eight hundreds off of the coast of Ireland. I just we did th- not mention that. It didn't seem important to our recap, but I think uh, it's some good flavor text. Yeah, it's just really cool to me. I I went out to Ireland, and I there was two. The weather was too bad to get out to see the island when I was in Ireland, but 
uh, I could see it from the coast just barely, and that was awesome. Like, haha, that's cool. Uh, just a little little brag moment there for me. But, humble brag. Mm-hmm. But moving forward with Luke, Ray, he starts teaching her. The first thing he teaches her is um, what the Force is, which I thought was this great exchange where he's, you know, <laughs> Ray's just sort of like, you lift rocks, what is it right? That Ray, yeah, like, Ray no, says it's not it's just the, lifting rocks. It lets them like, move okay. things with their brain. <laughs> yeah, you make people do stuff. He's like, no, it's more than that. You know, it's, and he gets to this really like kind of existential, you know, it's the energy between and in all things. And she's like, okay, but what is it? <laughs> and he, he ends up showing her. So he, he basically teaches her how to tap in and feel the force, which I thought that whole exchange was great because it was a little bit funny, a little bit punchy on sort of just the ambiguousness of the force in general. Right. It, si- it's, it, I think it's the best explanation of the force we've gotten in you know eight movies at this yes. point and I, I i love it because at the by the time the explanation's over ray gets it without necessarily having to you know say what it is you know you don't have to and he didn't down. even have to say metachlorians one time oh my god yes you are absolutely right so that was brilliant and then we have lesson two which is probably my favorite lesson which is that in the height of their power, as he said, the Jedi Council basically fell due to infighting and, and you know, manipulation. And it was just one of those those moments where it was like, and it's, it's really referring to what happened in the prequels, episodes one through three, which were just horrible, horribly made. But also, like, before those prequels, the Force was the Force, you know, there wasn't like this whole regime and establishment there wasn't this, you know, it was it was called a religion once by Han Solo. He called it a hokey religion, but it wasn't this 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 structured thing that when you watch the prequels, they're like, oh man, they've got all these like extra rules and all this extra stuff, and it was it really made Jedi seem very lame. And I just like that, you know, Luke Luke never learned through that sort of medium he was taught by obi-wan and then later yoda so of course he would be able to kind of look at the the old jedi council and be like yeah no that that was a bad idea and so he just kind of tears it all down and talks about you know his opinion why there shouldn't be jedi anymore and ray doesn't really like that lesson she's not having much of it so Lesson three. Do we get the lesson three? I actually don't remember. <laughs> I don't think so. There's, I don't remember. There's a lot of I downtime. I honestly don't even remember there being a conversation about three specific lessons. Yeah, he promised her three lessons. Uh, there's a lot of downtime. We see Ray uh, training with her bow staff that she had in the first movie and then with the lightsaber, which just sort of reinforces that Ray already knew like a combat a type of combat there was a lot of controversy that she fought kylo run in the first one and didn't just die outright but again you don't when you have a connection to the force it helps to be trained but it doesn't mean you still can't tap it and also she wasn't inexperienced in the ways of combat to begin with so we just sort of reinforce that there i really like that nod there are a lot of great nods during her training time on the island with luke um but she does go exploring because she feels this call like in any good remote training location uh, for, for Jedi. There's the teacher that teaches them the light, and then there's always this place that's just a little shady, a little dark, and in this case, it's a cave, almost like a straight hole, 
that Ray goes into and has a little bit of a, a trippy experience where she looks at this glass wall and just sees an infinite number of reflections of herself and I honestly you can take from that what you will I I have like a few ideas what that could have meant but in the end it wasn't really like there wasn't anything clear that she learned from that other than you know she it was just like all the possibilities of herself maybe what did you think that meant the the multi-mirror dimension thing in the dark cave um I mean honestly I I didn't think too much of it in general um, I don't know. I I've always had trouble with the these super ambiguous scenes because you kind of get that a little bit in Empire Strikes Back as well with Luke and Yoda mm-hmm. and the the you know running into Darth Vader in the another cave. cave and, yeah, but it, but it's really Luke in the Darth Vader suit in the end, and you're just like I, I take scenes like this almost like dreams. I I personally don't feel like dreams all mean something. I think they're manifestations of lots of things. Um, I thought the important part of that scene okay. to me was when she finally gets to the the end of the line or whatever, and she very clearly wants to see like who her parents are, where she's come from, that sort of thing. She ultimately sees just another reflection of herself. And to me, that was significant of that's all that's really important. You know, I, she feels this drive to know where she came from and who, you know, what her lineage is. But just like with us, that that's just as a piece of who we are. That's not like who you are. So that's what I took that whole scene to mean. Yeah. Well, the other the other thing that's happening in this downtime, we've said already that Ray and Kylo Ren have been connected and they there's been an ongoing story because Luke trained Kylo Ren originally before he turned to the dark side as to what happened. What was the following out? What was the turning point? And Luke describes it as Kylo attacked him and Kylo describes it as no, actually Luke was going to kill me. And so I, you know, that's what, that's when I uh, defended myself. And then you get like the honest version, like Ray's kind of, which is a little bit of both. Yeah. I mean, Luke admits to who there is a moment when he and he feels shame for this but there was a moment when he saw the darkness he saw that the snoke the evil dark lord had corrupted and turned kylo and that this was the chance to stop the next darth vader right here and now and for a brief moment like he's standing over kylo ren who's asleep with his lightsaber on and this intent and then turns it off like no what am i doing but at that point, it's too late. Kylo, he didn't turn off the lightsaber yet. Kylo wakes up, sees the lightsaber, reaches for his and uses the force to cause the house that they're in to collapse. And and so the whole story is, is through, you know, a, th- through Luke not being perfect for him faltering in a moment. This was sort of that last shove for Kylo to make his decision. And Rey has decided, no, it's not over. Your, your biggest mistake is assuming that Kylo has given up or he's turned to the dark side for good she thinks she can turn him so you know since luke's not coming or not leaving the island she's gonna hop back in the millennium falcon that she flew to get there and uh go find kylo ren and try and change his mind and bring him to the light side like that yeah because i mean he's a he's he's a central piece in this galactic conflict right now he's basically leading the 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 first order Mm-hmm. So if she can turn him, she can turn the tide of this whole thing, and she feels that like compulsion to do it. 
So yeah, she leaves and she goes back. Meanwhile, on the like casino planet, uh, Finn and Rose and God, he has a name. Someone, someone has named him at some point. Uh, Benicio del Toro's character have mm-hmm. left the 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 planet. Um, oh, he, DJ, he, DJ's his name. So <laughs> Finn and Rose and DJ have left this prison planet. Um, DJ's agreed to help them. You know, crack the codes to the first order security, blah blah blah. And all he needs to do it is uh, Rose's necklace piece that's made of like a specific kind of metal. She doesn't want to give it up because it's the other half of the necklace that her sister had. But she's just all about like, no, if we can do this, if we can save the universe, then I'll do anything I can. Blah blah blah. You know. So they 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 arrive on the Imperial ship. Right around the same time that Ray arrives to confront um, Kylo, and what's Snoke, yeah. Kylo, right? Yeah, and a lot of stuff starts happening at this point. Well, tell them about the longest space chase ever because we haven't really gone over that. <laughs> so, yet. so the whole t- the whole movie, pretty much after the first five minutes, is the First Order chasing. I mean, we said this briefly, chasing the remainder of the Rebel fleet, which is at this point down to one cruiser, one large cruiser. I think it's a Mon Calamari cruiser, actually. Um, which was the only thing in the original trilogy that could even have a chance at standing up against a Star Destroyer. But that's just a bit of nerd trivia for you there. Right. Also, I love calamari. Yeah. Very tasty. Um, The the thing is, is... our our good our good buddy Poe, you know the the hotshot pilot, has been really frustrated that he's being kept out of the loop since be, loop since being demoted, and basically decides to stage a mutiny because he doesn't trust the leadership, the Admiral Holdo, doesn't think she can cut it, doesn't think she has a plan, and he wants to act. So he stages a mutiny, which doesn't last long at all. Uh, it ends with them, you know, he takes over the bridge for a short time. It ends with them getting into the bridge, Leia walking up, because she's woken up now, and hitting him with a stunner. And they start exercising their their plan to get away in smaller transport shuttles and hide on this planet that they're about to pass while the Empire still chases the giant cruiser that Admiral Holdo's going to stay on and keep piloting so that the you know the empire doesn't catch on. I, I I never understood why she was on it. It was it was sort of they, there becomes. She said a someone had to stay behind and pilot the ship. Yeah, that for, I, I don't. Also, that. she I think she had a plan because she ends up basically going to hyperspace through the the uh, the first order ship, tearing it in half, making the biggest blow to the to that first order fleet that we've seen this whole movie. True. And it's, she- a, it's a really cool, like, super dramatic moment. Visually looks really interesting. I mean, it, it is... She made a, a huge change in the tide of things right. in doing that. I, what I was more pointing out in the beginning... That wasn't her plan from the get-go, though. She rev- she reverts to that plan or changes to that plan uh, once. Well, let's go ahead and, and go back to Finn and Rose and DJ because they're breaking in to shut down the tracking device because they're still on that plan, and they get busted, and they're getting put up for some reason. Edu- specifically, they get sold out by DJ, because as he points out, you know, there's always going to be basically a bigger fish. Right. You know, it's like, you kill them, they kill you today, you kill them tomorrow, that sort of thing. He's very defeatist. And 
At the same time, Rey is up in the throne room with Snoke and Kylo, and she's trying to turn Kylo, thinking it's going to work, but it's not going so well right now. And then, uh, you know, it looks like Kylo's just going to cut down Rey. Like, she kind of just offered herself up. So you're wondering, like, she took a big gamble. But at the last minute, Kylo uses Rey's lightsaber to cut down Snoke. And then they fight all the guards that Snoke had in a very nice in a very fight. very cool very very cool fight in mm-hmm. Snoke's chamber as I, I, as I say in my notes it's very well choreographed it's just sort of like like the purpose of the fight is sort of like these are all his guards and they just killed the main guy but if they're in any way related to the Sith that would just mean Kylo should be in charge but instead they're they're I think they're not Sith related I think they're just his guards so they're even though they failed at their mission completely, they're still going to get back the guy that killed them. So they they go to take out Rey and Kylo, and instead Rey and Kylo cut them up into shreds. And it looks awesome. Right. And right. Finn and Rose are about to get executed. I'm just going to wrap this up here. Is that cool? Yeah, go for it. Finn and Rose are about to get executed down in the, the hangar of this giant ship. But that's when Holdo... Oh, yeah, that's when DJ, you know, like you said, betrays the plan of the Rebellion to the First Order... So they know to start looking for those little bitty ships that are hiding, and they start blowing those out of the out of, out of space. Like, they're disintegrating them, like, one after another. And that's when Admiral Holdo's, like, sees that happening, realizes that they're not after her anymore. She turns around, points at the fleet, goes into hyperspace, and drives right through them, which technically is not how hyperspace works exactly. But you know what? Who cares? It looks awesome. It, you could argue that it is. It could work that way. I mean... Going through hyperspace, you, you still have to plot out ways not to hit stuff. You know, if space is big, but there's still planets and things and suns and black holes you have to avoid. So sure, but the whole point here is that she purposely plotted to hit something. To hit something. Basically, basically it, to, to arrive in mm-hmm. the middle of something that's already there. Yeah, it wrecks the dreadnought, like almost splits it in half. Uh, it's 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 crippled, but not destroyed. And then all this, the other Star Destroyers, because there are... Five other Star Destroyers just kind of flying around with this, this Dreadnought uh, that get just completely obliterated by the shockwave. So, really, really useful trick. You know, I mean, the, the ship Holdo was flying was no small one itself, so it, it you could argue that they couldn't just do this all the time because it's, it's hard to get a cruiser like this to use as a bomb, but no one's ever done anything like this before, so it was, it was a little unprecedented, but I'll allow it. Uh, this stops Ray, Rose and Finn from getting executed, and they kind of fight their way out of the hangar and catch up with the rebel fleet. Ray's able to escape in this, you know, during this explosion, and she's uh, she'd already made plans to meet up with Chewie and the Falcon, so we assume that's what she's doing. We haven't seen her do this yet. And Kylo gets up, has basically taken over the First Order, and knows where the rest of the rebellion is. Is like, all right, gather what we've got left. Let's land down on this planet and finish them off for good. And that's when we have like our final stand on this uh, I forget what they called the name of the planet, but it's a it's basically a mineral planet, they said. So the ground is covered in this white dust that one intelligent, you know, rebel soldier when you know decides to lick and go, "Oh, it's salt." And I was just like, "Well, that's a great way to find out." <laughs> Glad it wasn't poison. Yeah, or you know, "Oh, it's cyanide." <laughs> but uh no, so that they make their stand. This is an old rebel base on this planet that they're hiding in. They fly out in some old janky little speeders to 
try and charge at the you know first order first force because it's got a giant they've dropped a giant laser on the ground that once they bring to bear is going to like blow up the base or blow a hole into the the wall of the base because it's heavily fortified and they've got to stop that so they they all just rush out there in these little speeders and start getting annihilated i mean real bad because that was what was going to happen and poe decides now now is the time we should pull back and and not finish this now that they're doing their last stand this is it all the marbles he decides no let's let's cut and run back into the base that we literally just said we can't defend when they get up with his laser so he tucks and runs but finn's not having it he's like no i'm gonna suicide run into this laser and blow it up really meaningful i was just like oh my god are they gonna kill finn he's such a great you know he was the character who didn't really want to be in this rebellion at first and now he's about to die for it and nope here comes rose she sideswipes him in her speeder Uh, somehow they don't kill each other and she just sort of parks him in the middle of in between the two armies basically about to fight and is talking about how she saved him and how you know we can't we can't beat them by, you know, fighting what we hate, or we can't win by fighting what we hate. We're going to win by protecting what we love. And I think at that point, I just threw my hands up in the air in the theater and was like, what the hell does that even mean? Yeah, I mean... It was the most empty phrase, and there have been a few empty phrases in this film, but it was the most empty phrase of the film, and... Uh, you talk about yeah, I don't want to get into like everything that the fans did to this poor actress and how they harassed her, but it it, it really didn't. I don't I don't want to hate on this person, but that character just just really lost it for me there. And then she kisses Finn because apparently she's got a thing for him. I don't think that's requited by Finn. I'm gonna be very upset if we find out. We never confirmed that, but I'll be upset if we find out he likes her in the next film. But they, you know, Finn get drags her back into the base. They're holed up. Of course, um, they realize that there are creatures in this base and that they've been coming in and out through this back entrance through the caves and they're going to follow these creatures, but they need something to stall the First Order so it doesn't chase them. And that's when dun da 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 Luke Skywalker shows up looking very well Captain Quaffed and... Uh, just you know does a quick hello to leia does a quick hello to 3po and is like you guys go i'm gonna i'm gonna hold him off and everybody's like all right cool and instead of leaving they stop and watch what he's gonna do for a minute which honestly i would too i mean it's luke skywalker standing in front of like an entire first order army as right you know, seriously hmm. when the most bamf in the universe shows up you're like we can stick around an extra minute right yeah let's just see so the entire so kylo sees luke and just loses his his shit and Tells them all to open fire, and they just unload. I mean, all the lasers, all this, the ground, because like, the you got the white salt in the ground, but then it's it's red earth underneath, like dark red earth, so it's this really beautiful contrast of just red earth flying into the air, and it's dust, and you can't see anything, and, and as the dust finally settles, and I mean finally, there's Luke just standing there, completely unfazed, which, uh, anyway, no, I'll talk about that in a minute. Let's just barrel on through here. Kylo's freaking out. So he he's like, okay, well, it looks like Luke's too powerful to kill with a bajillion lasers. I'm going to get out there and, and kill him with my lightsaber. And right, so, of course. So he lands his little ship, hops out there, and basically just keeps telling Luke how he's going to lose, and the rebellion's done, and there will be no more Jedi, and Luke looks at him and goes, amazing. Everything you just said was absolutely wrong. And then Kylo swings at him, and Luke does a dodgy bit. And then Kylo swings at him again. And Luke does an even like like more matrixy dodgy bit. 
And then Kylo, like, kind of psychs himself up and stares Luke, and Luke just sort of stands down, like he's not even going to try and defend himself. And Kylo charges him and swipes the saber through him, and Luke's just standing there unfazed. And that's when Kylo just sort of looks at him and realizes that Luke has been projecting himself back on the island, way off in another part of the galaxy, by using the Force. Because, you know, that's how the Force works. You can see Luke on the island now, and he's, like, meditating heavily, and he's struggling to maintain Right, his... he's, like, sweating buckets, mm-hmm. and he's mm-hmm. like, this took all of his energy. Yeah, everything. I and mean, he was he was looking pretty old to begin with, and, he, you know, he said he'd come out to this place to die. He told Ray that earlier, this island. So, yeah, so he... He just kind of waves bye to Kylo in his hologram form, and Kylo freaks out. Meanwhile, the the rebellions in the back of this cave, they follow these cool little snowflake creatures. Uh, that's not an insult. They literally look like they're made of snowflakes. Uh, through the cave, only to see that it's like there's a collapsed uh, rubble pile that's the only these creatures can get out, but, but they can't, and they think they're screwed. But then all of a sudden, all the rocks just like whoosh, and... There's Ray on the other side holding all the rocks up and basically giving them an out. And everybody pretty much just hops on the Falcon because that's that's all all that's left of this resistance can fit on the Millennium Falcon. I'll say uh, Leia at one point pointed out to Poe that there's only 400 resistance members left at like somewhere in the middle of the movie. Now there's probably like 14. So... <laughs> They didn't exactly win this one by any stretch, but Leia talks about... Like I said earlier in this episode, a lot of people died in this movie. So many, so many new faces, so many extras got like these little moments only to watch them blow up later. And you're like, okay. And yeah, Leia talks about how they're going to reach out to sympathizers to their rebellion and keep fighting. And that's the, that's really the end is, you know, they're just going to hang on to hope. Yeah, and, I mean, it has a very Empire Strikes Back kind of ending mm-hmm. where, you know, the rebellion at this point has been all but completely squashed and the even the First Order is left sort of in tatters. Like, everything's just kind of up in the air for the next episode, you know, because clearly there's going to be an episode nine. Uh, but yeah, that's where we are. Thank you everyone for joining us for Matt and Tony describe a movie plot. Yeah, <laughs> this has golly. been a great episode. <laughs> we'll we'll put a note uh, in there in the uh, in the notes, like, hey, if you don't want to hear us recap for forty three minutes, um, skip to minute forty four. Right, exactly. So Matt, you've already said you like this movie. I I'm gonna tell everybody too as much as i'm gonna dog on this movie i did enjoy it overall in fact do we want to talk about um maybe just some of the key things we really liked just because we've we've really gone on with uh that that recap man that was long what were some of the key things you liked matt i'd say pick pick more than three more than three okay I'll, i'll see what i can do i might can think of more than three um man uh Little, it, it, it's sort of some little things for me, but I really like, um, I liked Holdo a lot. Um, Laura Dern's character we mentioned earlier. I liked mm-hmm. her. I almost wish we had more of her, but I liked her character a lot. Um, the visual style of this film, I was a big fan of it to me, where, whereas the last film I felt was trying to replicate the look of the original trilogy in a lot of ways. This I felt was more trying to pay homage at places, but also kind of be new and fresh. 
I thought he I thought Ryan Johnson struck a really good balance mm-hmm. in the visual style of this. Um, I liked, I, even though it was completely ludicrous, and I know we're going to get into it here in a second. I, I liked the the space chase. You know them trying to get away from the first order. You know just by the the skin of their teeth. Uh, that like relentless pursuit. I like those kinds of stories. I like those kinds of um, like storytelling mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I I liked pretty much everything they did with Leia's character. You know, if you're not a huge Star Wars fan, you may not really love Leia, but it, I I think it's it's hard to not. Like she's a pop culture icon at this point. Princess Leia, everybody knows what Princess Leia buns are, like that haircut. Mm-hmm. You know, the the slave Leia bikini from Return of the Jedi. Like she's an icon and it it would have been easy to I don't know, be dismissive of that in this movie, I think. But I I think the way they wrote Leia in this movie was so true to character. Um, maybe the truest to character in the whole new trilogy so far. Um, so definitely that. Um, I liked, I really liked the ongoing conflict and and relationship with Kylo and Ray. You know, them kind of always seeing each other, trying to figure out what's even happening to them, them sort of representing the light and the dark side, but also being more complicated than that, trying to, you know, slowly understanding Kylo's origin and motivation, um, watching Ray kind of go from this wide eyed optimist of I can, I can make it happen to like the realization of how the world really is. I I liked their characters a lot. Um, I, I don't know. I think that's the gist of, of the those are the main things that I really liked in this movie. What what about you? What did you like? Oh, uh, plenty. Let's see. One of the first things I I'd say I liked was um, just what's been going on with Luke Skywalker. He he was a big character in the original uh, three movies, and you know, thirty plus years have passed since we last saw him. He defeated the Empire. Uh, Darth Vader turned his father back to good before he died, and and it's like that was it. Like he'd done all he'd set out to achieve, but what was next? And we learn, you know, he tried to train his own Jedi, and I think what I liked is is that things did not necessarily all work out for Luke Skywalker, and he had to learn to deal with failure. And his response was a very human one, which was to you know, kind of just reclude reclude from the galaxy and hide out. And I thought that was very realistic. You know, he had. He, he sort of reflected back on everything because when Kylo went went to the dark side, that was a that was a, you know a failure as a teacher. It was a failure as a Jedi. Kylo also destroyed his entire Jedi temple and most of the Jedi, other Jedi there, so he lost all of that. But he says to Rey, like one of the most shameful things was is you know Kylo Ren is Han Solo and Leia Organa's son, and so that's his and you know that's his his nephew he he basically couldn't take care of his nephew so leia lost her son to the dark side and he blames himself for that and he 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 walks with that guilt like i couldn't imagine if like i've got a niece if i was supposed to train her and she ended up becoming like an evil terrorist and under my watch i would feel 
really shitty and it was just like wow the impact of that of course he's so cynical now everybody thought that was like oh you're ruining my childhood my hero is cynical it's like well you know people age and they have scars and i mean the whole point like the i loved how how we saw the story from three perspectives of kylo turning to the dark side of kylo challenging luke and through like every time you see it the first time you're like well that was pretty easy and you see it the second time where luke's the bad guy and you're like that just doesn't seem right and then you see the truth, which is, for a moment, Luke faltered, and, and and there was so much consequence and cost that he just he couldn't bear trying to keep being this perfect, as he put it, you know, hero with a laser sword. And I was just like, man, that that really holds weight. That really holds up. And I mean, he wasn't he wasn't terrible. I mean, in the end, he sacrificed himself. He didn't say this. I don't know why in the recap, but that, that whole effort Luke does to project himself on another planet does end up killing him. Like, it's just, it's too much for his body to, like, do and maintain. So he dissolves, like Obi-Wan did, into the Force, sort of just, like, into the ether. And, and I thought that was a really fitting end. It wasn't sort of, you know, you know, we are, we are losing the old guard. In the previous movie, we lost Han Solo because that was sort of, like, that was, as Snoke put it in this movie, the, the move that Kylo did that shattered him. Like, it, it was supposed to seal his direction path to the dark side, but instead it just caused the biggest conflict. Which is the other thing I like. I like Kylo's conflict. I like this person who has been trying to be this one thing, this Dark Lord, this Darth Vader, and just not measuring up. And... I, I love his relationship with Rey because she has this this almost naivete that she's going to change him, and all that really happens is is that through her she she almost they solidify, you know, she she may sort of solidifies his decision. Once he destroys his master and now is going to actually run things, he decides to join the dark side. So instead of having this quick turnaround and just becoming good, like he actually doubles down and then becomes more secure in his decision for the dark side and at the same time ray just i love you can tell i just this is the part of the movie i loved is is their story there because ray is over here just trying to figure out where she fits into the galaxy she's got this power she's caught up in this war but she's she's a bigger she's bigger than just another soldier there's more to her and she's trying to define what that is and she's just trying to look for anything in this case saving kylo for a purpose because you know at first it was finding her family putting her family back together but but we learned that um that that it, that's not necessarily going to happen because she actually knows who her family is they're they're nobodies they're no ones they were they're unimpressive they're unremarkable they they were they were scavengers who sold their daughter off supposedly just for money so they could you know get drunk or whatever it was they were doing that that's kylo was able to see that in her mind just as she was able to see things about him in his and he just reveals that to her and it, it's implied that she's known but has been hiding that fact from herself for so long now i personally don't believe that the they're going to stick with that and here's why the last thing i'll say i really loved about this movie there's been a lot of stuff but the last thing i really loved is just the absolute uh, foil it had on the fandom 
Like, the fans had... It, it circumvented everything the fans wanted it to do. In today's movies, fans are so involved in the product. They're discussing and talking, and they have... Thanks to the internet and chats and comments, people are, are working on things for the years this movie is being made. And, you know, they had all their theories and all their... This has got to be this, and Ray's going to be related this way to this, and she's got to be connected. And you and I have always said we never wanted Ray to have like some sort of bloodline connection or destiny that brought her into this because that's just so lame. I mean, it was interesting once when Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father, which, oh yeah, spoilers. But if you think about it, if they just keep doing stuff like that, it's not, it's no good. Instead, they do the opposite. There's been this buildup in the fandom to see like, who is Rey? Where did she come from? How is she just this awesome? And it's just because she is. And that's it. And that becomes the big, like, eye-popping shocker, the one that just split the, the fandom. And I thought that was brilliant. I th There's a lot of theory now that they're going to circumvent that in the next movie and actually reveal that she is connected to something, and I really hope they don't. I really hope they stick to their guns, as controversial as it is. But I just... So many things in this movie were controversial in a good way, in that it circumvented expectation. And, and I think... I, I was like clapping you know it, just luke's attitude and his his cynicism circumvented everybody thinking that luke was gonna come in with a laser sword and save the day he literally drops that line and i was just like exactly luke is not gonna be the one to do all these things that the fans are just expecting of him he's gonna be a fully fleshed out character like an actual person not just an icon and i just i loved all of that i i hope you can hear it in my voice i was very very into that part of the movie yeah, I I agree with you. I, I I don't know. I really liked a lot of the choices that they made in this movie when it came to canon. I, I I'm with you. I was I thought it meant more that she was the daughter of you know, no one in particular. Mm -hmm. You know, I I myself get kind of tired of all these movies where, you know, someone's the chosen one or they're from some like powerful lineage or mm -hmm. I, I I like these narratives about people that that by all accounts shouldn't be anything but are something special and that's yep. what ray represents to me and i i agree with you i hope in episode nine we don't they don't like retcon that or twist it or do whatever because i think it's important that she's just ray she's just her um and she's daisy not a Ridley's skywalker awesome. daisy Ridley she is, is so she's so cool. great um I got, I got a little bit of a crush on, on her, if, if I'm being honest. I mean, she's just this so This is a cool. safe space. You can tell us that. She's got, like, a really cute smile. She's doing those, like, triple hair buns going, like, down the, the back of her head, which was awesome. In the she's scene. like, I see your two buns, Leia, and I raise you an extra bun. Right? <laughs> and, 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 and she's just... Ray is such a cool character, and I... Yeah. I, th I agree with you. There doesn't need to be this destined hero all the time. There's only one destined hero. It's the hero of time, Zelda. Uh, sorry, that was deep cut for some of our Legend of Zelda uh. fans, and and that's the only time that works for me. Nowadays, it's like you said, it's just it's it's old hat to go. Oh, well, this so you have is... properties that have done that trope well. Like Harry mm -hmm. Potter's a great example of the the chosen one trope being executed well. Well, because and... the truth is, is he was prophesized to be the chosen one, but the way Harry Potter actually succeeded had nothing to do with destiny and everything to do with the friends he made and luck. So a prophecy is one thing. Execution of a prophecy is an entirely different thing. And Star Wars is, is just not worried about it. 
you know like ray is the this this whole new cast of ray finn and poe are the are the next line of heroes heroes have to start and be born from somewhere right well um let's talk about some problems let's talk about the problems with last jedi um i'll go first because i want to talk about i've already sort of mentioned it but I'll, i'll elaborate a little further the only real issue I had with this movie, and you know, again, I'll, I acknowledge there's a lot more issues with the movie, but the biggest issue to me with this movie was that entire storyline of Finn and Rose going down to the casino planet. It it just the whole thing doesn't work for me from it from a visual perspective, from a storytelling perspective, from a character perspective. The whole bit doesn't work for me. It halts the action for me, like the momentum that we developed in the story. It, it's just like they don't even tap the brakes. It's just a hard break in the story. <laughs> it, it bothers me so. There's the there's a scene with them on the balcony overlooking the races, and they're talking. You know, they're they're waxing philosophical about you know wealth and greed and things like that. And they're just kind of out there enjoying the beautiful air and the beautiful scenery. And all I can think of is I just want to yell at the screen and go, your friends are dying somewhere else in the universe. Get a move on. It just bothers me. It's not, it's so not Finn's character Rose, who I think could have been such a great character gets just scene after scene of of like bordering on the whiny up until her like last scenes where i i don't fault the actress at all no that was all i the think writing. i think it was the writing's fault for her and i don't know the the, the dj character felt kind of like Forced. i don't know we need somebody here let's just put a character in let's forget to name him because like he was basically named by the fans from what i can understand his character never gets a name in the movie um, I don't know. It just felt like such a weird, unnecessary misdirect by actually seeing Justin Thoreau's character having a decent actor playing, you know, the master codebreaker they were supposed to find. And he gets this one moment of, you know, a really cool looking costume and he's gambling at the table. And all I can think of is like, I actually wanted to know more about that character. The master codebreaker they were supposed to be finding seemed like an interesting character. And then they switched to this DJ character played by Benicio Del Toro that has like this stutter and he's just kind of out for himself. And he just seems like such a boring character to have switched to. And I don't even. Oh, like I said, visually, everything in this movie, for the most part, kind of feels like it fits into the the visual canon of the original trilogy Um but everything on this casino planet just reeks of new trilogy to me. Like the the Phantom Menace, Attack oh, of prequels. the Clones. Yeah. Yeah, the prequel trilogy. Because everything is like super, super computer generated and busy and colorful. And it just... Very glossy. Uh, I can't... I don't know. I could honestly go on at length. We're already at an hour. I, I want to stop. But I, I, I could go on at length about how much that... That whole storyline and sequence bothered me, and I didn't like it at all. Mm-hmm. There, I said it. No, I, I, I'll, I just, I'll punch up on that just a little bit too, because the thing that that really made it jarring was is, is it, it, you're you've got this chase that's happening, 
right? This space chase, as we keep calling it, where the First Order's chasing the Rebellion. And they're able to just leave it. They hop in a little ship, light speed away, because they're not being tracked, and then come back. And it just, it sucks all the tension out of that chase to have characters just coming and going from it. And then, like you said... Yeah, and how far away was this planet? planet? How did they get there so easily? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's Star Wars. That sort of stuff is not, that sort of stuff is always convenient, but but even still, just the fact that they did it, the fact that that was possible, I, I mean, I had I had problems with the chase in general, but I don't want to get into that here. I I'm going. I want to keep the chase. I want to fix it, and I know how I'm going to do that for our fix, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the only other thing I'd say that I didn't care for was on the technical side, there were a lot of things missing. Um, a lot of things that were not typically uh, Star Wars canon that suddenly just happened. For instance, in the beginning, Poe's in an X-Wing and just shoots all the gun turrets off the first dreadnought that they they blow up. Like, he's just able to do that. I mean, never mind that these dreadnoughts and all these big cruisers have shields. Uh, I guess the argument is is they went under the shields. I don't think that's really a thing, but it is now. They've just sort of created that. So one fighter basically eradicated most of the the light guns off a of dreadnought, and then in reverse, Tie fighters flying after the the Moncomori ship later blow the bridge away. Just and these aren't even bombers. There were no real. There were bombers like the bombers they used to bomb the uh, the dreadnought. I think you were the one who told me were supposed to be like planetary orbital bombers, but they. They have, in the Star Trek universe, so many ships that are, like, bombers meant to attack big ships, you know, these big cruisers. They have Y-Wings, which are technically out of date and old, but could have been used here. Or the B-Wings, which are the newer model that the, the Rebellion had the, the first time to bomb these sorts of big ships. On the flip side, there are, there are TIE bombers that the First Order could use to bomb the Mon Calamari cruisers. So even if they, they couldn't catch up with it, which, by the way, makes no sense. There's nothing that says a Mon Calamari cruiser can sublight speed faster than a Star Destroyer. It's never been a thing. They just sort of pulled that out of their ass. It was it was really hard to get behind. But it just it didn't hold up. You know, it just, they even show a hologram when Benicio del Toro's character is flipping through all the different, you know, types of fighters that this um, warlord was selling. He had, he had a little hologram of it in the ship that they stole to get off the planet. And it shows a TIE bomber. And I'm like, see, you know what those are. They exist. Why aren't you using them right now in the space chase that we've just sucked away? But it just, it there, there wasn't enough knowledge of the Star Wars universe and its technical world because it could have been used to make this movie better. And I don't know about you, but I'm I'm ready to start fixing. Yeah, yeah. I I'm let's get into it. What's your first fix? Well, I want to focus really strongly on the space chase. I think we both agree that the Luke Kylo Ray storyline could pretty much stay how it is. Uh, there doesn't need to be much change to that. I any. agree with you. So I want to focus on the space chase and. There, there, here's the reason why it, it definitely can work it definitely should work but this tracking device has a lot of flaws most of them being how they explain it the way it'll work because when they start explaining this tracking device there are literally two lines back to back that contradict each other one is that they're only tracking from the main ship the second one is if they destroy the main ship then one of the other ships will start tracking them I, I played that part back like three times to make sure I heard it right. I had my, my wife, Chrissy was with me and we were both just like that. What? 
So they can only track from the main ship, so Poe's like, we should destroy that main ship then. And Finn's like, I like where your head's at, but if we destroy that ship, they'll just start tracking us from another ship. So their plan is instead to disable the tracker without the First Order knowing, so that then when they jump to light speed, it'll be too late, they can't track them. Because apparently it needs to be running for them to track them. They never said that, but that's sort of what I gathered, is that for the, the light speed tracker to work, it has to be on, you have to have flip the on switch, when a ship goes to light speed, you can't use it afterwards. But if you destroy this ship, it's going to be on the other one. The one of the other. Well, ones I got the impression it, it was active tracking, so that it was continually tracking, and if they could disable it long enough that it wouldn't be noticed right away, mm-hmm. that they could that they could go through light speed to where they'd broken the the line. You yeah, know exactly. I th- that is what they said. But here's where they contradict that because the whole thing is it's they're being tracked on the on the main ship snoke's giant dreadnought that replaced the one that they just blew up so if they're only being tracked by that ship then they could theoretically destroy that ship thereby destroying the tracker but finn says no we can't do that because then one of the other ships will start tracking us and I'm just like, why don't all the ships have the on switch on this tracker? Why aren't all the ships tracking you independently? That just seems really dumb. I mean, does it use a lot of power? Is it is it just not cost effective? There's no acknowledgement. If all of these ships have the potential to track you, why aren't they all just tracking you? Then their plan, which wasn't really great in the first place, would have would have been a bust because it's either, yeah they disabled this one tracker and the you know the first order is no but they got four other ships or five other ships tracking them because apparently they have that ability so why aren't they doing it it's just so broken and there's a quick and easy fix for this and it already exists in the star wars universe it's called an interdictor cruiser it's a giant star destroyer with giant bubbles on it and its entire purpose is that it prevents a ship from going into light speed within a certain field so instead of having all of these ships, have like a big one of those and have that be the reason for the spaceship space chase. They can't jump to light speed and they can't destroy this cruiser because they don't have the forces for it. Like that's fix one. And it's just really simple and the threat's really obvious because it's not like they were going to destroy, except for the whole light speed bit, it's not like they were going to destroy that dreadnought. They were one Mon Calamari cruiser with like no fighters left and... You know, you had five Star Destroyers. Any one of them would have been a heavy threat and the one Dreadnought. Like, they were running because fighting wasn't an option, which is the second fix I want to make in the space chase. I want to balance out the fight a little bit. I want the the Rebels to have a chance. Like, they're running. They're hauling ass. They're trying to get out of this field. The Empire's chasing them. But one of the problems is is that Poe has nothing to do. And when Poe has nothing to do, he starts to mutiny and make stupid decisions and undermine the rebellion and get lots and lots of people killed. He is responsible for the deaths of most of the rebellion in this movie. What if we change that? What if one of the things happening in this movie is there's a dogfight of, of fighters going on amidst this chase? The reason for that being... The fighters can catch up to the ships. We've already seen TIE fighters like come in and start blowing up the Mon Calamari cruiser. Blew up the bridge. Leia flew out. So while the big ships can't catch up with the Mon Calamari cruiser for some reason, the little ships can. And the only reason they pulled them back is because the big ships won't be there to defend the, the poor helpless TIE fighters when the Mon Calamari's guns start firing at it. Which, one, makes no sense to me. It's the First Order. If they're anything like the, like the Rebellion, or not the Rebellion, if they're anything like the Empire, then TIE fighters are expendable. TIE fighters literally come with no hyperdrive, no life support. That's why the pilots wear helmets. 
and no shields because they're cheap and quick to, to produce. And that's because the Empire didn't care if it lost soldiers. It's got a hundred. It's got hundreds of more soldiers when you know the first hundred die. They're expendable. You could have just each one of those ships had like hundreds of ties in it. You could have just sent them all in there, lost maybe you know thirty percent of them, and destroyed the rebellion. Instead, let's have a dogfight so that doesn't happen. Let's let's let Poe do Poe and fight, and then we get to see like more spaceship battle, which is cool. And you know, meanwhile, Finn and Rose are trying to figure out a way to destroy the Interdictor cruiser, which because that's more of an actual threat. Maybe they're trying to sneak on there, not you know like they originally planned. Like a lot of things they did, they could do, and it would make sense then. You know, you could you just oh this whole tracking thing. And, and just the, the lack of any sort of resistance. There was like only 400 members of this rebellion and then they were down to 14. Like, let's let's keep the numbers up a little bit longer so that they can punch back. I mean, yeah, they're losing. Yeah, they're the little guy, but at least there's a fight. There was no fight. There was no challenge. Yeah, you're right. They kind of, they spent the whole, I mean, most of the movie running and not putting up any real sort of a fight at all. They didn't have the means. They had no means to do it. The, they had no weapons, no real anything left. And that was pre-established. Like, at least in Empire, when they invaded Hoth in the beginning, the Rebellion was able to put up a fight while they ran. And then later, it's just Han and Leia running from the Empire. So, of course, they're not going to be able to fight. But in this, it's it's that's, that's everything. They've been saying the whole time, that's the whole group. If that's the whole group, you know, War of Attrition, they could still, they were still going to lose, you know, mm-hmm. just because they didn't have as much stuff, but like, let them punch back, and then you know, let 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 that strategy really happen. And, I mean, instead of them just running helplessly, and they really was helpless, and that's why Poe was freaking out. But it was just it was boring, so boring. In fact, they had to like fly away from this chase to go to a casino planet because they were afraid we were bored, and we could just skip all of that. They could be they could be calling out for help like they were doing, and. Maybe, you know, somebody could show up to help turn the tide later or they could take their remaining forces and, and hunker down in that that rebel base at the end and maybe put up a b- bigger fight there, too, so that it, they really get whittled down slowly. And there's really a cost, you know, and an effort other than, you know, oh, we're just a little bit faster. So we're, we're running out the clock. We've got 15 hours of fuel. I was just like, wow, that's so definite. You never want to ro- work in those kind of definites where you have like specific times and numbers and stuff like that. That really hinders your ability to get creative when you're telling a story. I mean, you don't want to do that unless you absolutely have to. And it just seems so weird that they locked into that. We've got, we're a little bit faster and we've got, you know, f- 15 hours worth of fuel and that's our plot. And I'm just like, dang, you guys just kind of, you kind of threw away what could have been like epic something, you know, that could have like had a lot of different twists and turns and things like that to it. Yeah. I think, I think you're kind of hitting the nail on the head. I think a lot of the, the issues with this movie aren't necessarily things that, that, you know, suck or like are really bad. It's just missed opportunities to be better. Right. Uh, Cause even with the, the, the whole storyline with the casino planet in and of itself is not such a bad thing, but, it could have been better we could have had uh you know first of all i still think that the master codebreaker should have been landau carissian i think that would have been such a fun way to tie that character into this new would you want trilogy. to have used billy d williams because i know he's kind of up there in years and it's it's not easy for him to to work or act these days oh i don't know anything about that i just think that character would have been so such an interesting you know 
idea. Um, but even if they didn't go the Billy D. Williams Lando route, I think that were they going to escape for this, there should have been a sequence, even if it's a, a shortened one, of them basically escaping their own ship. Because like you pointed out, it's just like they just kind of leave as if that's easy to do. And I think there should have been there should have been more stakes there, like them leaving to go find this master code breaker felt kind of like, oh, we're just going to run to the, the corner shop real quick. Right. You're absolutely you know? that's exactly what it felt like. It's like, oh, you can just and, and they yeah. kind of write it off by saying that the Empire is not tracking small ships. And that's sort of their reason for their plan to hop in all the transports and run away. But. But I mean, they the, were they were not just under the radar of the first order. They were under the radar of their of the rebels. You know, them leaving. They they should there should have been more to that. Oh yeah, because you know? they were. Well, I, I don't think. I think that's part of a bigger issue. I don't think Finn and Poe, and I guess Rose because she was there too, should have been circumventing the rebellion. It just. I, I, I know there's an argument for why they did this, but the whole thing that Finn and Poe are actually responsible for the death of most of the rebellion. Poe in the beginning with the, you know, taking out the dreadnought with the wrong kind of bombers and most of them get blown up. And then later with the mutiny and Finn and Rose with if they hadn't have discussed the, the, the rebellion's plan to sneak away in front of DJ then he wouldn't have been able to, you know, give that information to the Empire for his freedom. And the Damn. Empire, or pardon me, First Order, and the First Order wouldn't have been able to, like, blow up most of those transport ships when they execute the plan. It was just, it was unrewarding as a viewer to see the main characters who you fell in love with in the last movie be so inept. Everything they did caused more destruction, and I, that could be argued as a character point. You know, they're going to have to deal with this. Heroes aren't always whatever, but it's like, no, this is just dumb. And I mean, excuse me, it's just dumb where everything you're watching them do and spend a lot of time do simply circumvents the rebellion and makes things worse. It's If the idea was to show that they had the best intentions... But they ended up making things worse. That sh there should have been more of a focus on that. The consequence should have hit them more. But they don't even seem to give a crap. You know, Poe to this point still doesn't seem to feel responsible for any of the shit he's caused. I mean, he, he has yeah. a, a, a half-assed moment of clarity when they're making a, a suicide run that honestly made sense to me on the ground forces on the on the planet at the end. And they're making this suicide run in these shitty thing, these shitty speeders because this is it. When he tells him to turn around because now he's learned better and he doesn't want to expend everybody, I'm like, no, this is when you do this. Because when you turn around, what you're trying to prevent happens, which is they come in and blow you up like you knew they were going to, which is why you're out there in the first place. This is, you're, you're not learning, Poe. You're learning bad. Learn better. <laughs> you, right. You're, you're, everything he did was bad. And his character was so small in The Force Awakens, but he seemed cool and promising. And all we got was that he's... he's 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 a really poor leader. He he doesn't accept responsibility, and you know, oh, he gets a lot of people killed. Like that's all we learned about Poe, and that's it. And I don't like that because I liked his character in the last one. So I just I wish, and I would fix it so that our our Finn Poe Rose mashup is helpful. Like they do some good, agreed, and not agreed. just fuck everything up for the whole movie. Pardon my language. You're you're forgiven, but yeah, I I would say that the whole side distraction to the to the planet, just it needed to be better. 
Um, I I also again would have liked to have seen more of the th- maybe see more of the Justin Thoreau character before meeting DJ. Like, but I don't know. It's just so weird to me that Maz, who is up until this point a very reliable character within this world, mm-hmm. has such so highly recommended this character that we don't even get to spend any time with. We get to see him yeah. make one kind of joke. I I think it would have been more interesting had they found him you know, made their case to help them and seen him be representative of this like wealth that, you know, Rose has such an issue with see him say like, ah, I don't know. Like, you know, it doesn't really seem worth it to me or, and maybe that's when we find out that he's a part of this whole group of people supplying weapons to both sides. Mm -hmm. Like that could have been a bigger moment that made, um, that made a bigger impact in the story and maybe they think maybe they get to a point where they realize, you know, maybe this isn't the guy for us. You know, he, his, his, his heart's not in the right place. He doesn't want to do this for the right reasons. He doesn't even really want to do it at all. Yeah. The and, rebellion you know, stands on principle. Exactly. And then that would be an interesting moment to meet a character like DJ who maybe is a little less selfish. Um, and, and has, uh, or at least presents himself to be less selfish and then he could still have that turn at the end where you find out he was just as bad as the Justin Throw character all along. But, but he, our, you know, in our fix, do we even need to go to that planet? Do we is that necessary? I just I, I like all of this. I'm, if we I'm wanted to fix it, the computer, I'm keeping it in an effort to keep as much of the original intact as possible. I'm just saying if we're going to have this side mission to which is what it is it's a video game side mission go to yeah, go to casino planet collect master code breaker breaker mm-hmm. if we're going to keep that mission in this game then how do we make that better and i think i think having the, the key points to me are making the stakes of even getting off of the ship in the first place higher mm-hmm. and i think which having, can be done if there's a dog fight and they have to actually fly through a battle yep to even yep, get away agreed agreed and then also when we get there actually making use of this character that Maz has set up I mean the truth is the whole thing with Maz could have been deleted in the movie you know they they basically Skype Maz who's in the middle of some fight some union dispute and you're like why does any of this matter she's like oh it's a union dispute you don't you you wouldn't be interested I'm not interested thanks Maz uh, one of the notes in IMDB was is that was going to play a bigger role in the original script and they had to cut it for time so that's part of why that was awkward is there was something else there they removed it and that at least makes more sense yeah i mean so yeah the whole thing with maz in the end could have just been omitted altogether it could have been as simple as someone on the ship holdo or somebody saying like well if if you guys are going to do this crazy plan then the only person that can do it is so and so yeah. Well, where do we find him? A, a certain know, guy she knows who happens to have a thing for capes, and she knows where to find him. Right. Leia could have told them <laughs> all of that. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. But yeah, that's just my... You're right, though. I, I think if we're keeping the storyline of going to the casino planet, then that, that those are my fixes for how to make that better and more tolerable. Right. Um, and it, it, needs to, it needs to kind of punch quicker. You're a thousand percent right that I don't even know that we needed it. Because it didn't really do, I mean, I guess it sort of was an attempt at developing Rose's character into this person that grew up suffering and saw, you know, the injustice of the world 
and all of that. It just to me it didn't none of it landed well enough to and justify that, the side story. And that's what happens when Star Wars as a universe, as a as a franchise tries to get a little bit more political. Uh, for better or for worse, whether you agree or disagree with what Rose said, in the prequels they tried to get political a little bit and it always fell flat. And, you know, it, the reason I think they never did that in the originals is because Star Wars is more of a mythos. It's more, it's ambiguous in a lot of detail. And, and it's on purpose. George Lucas didn't care about the detail as much. It was very straightforward, though. I think Light. it's naive to say that the original films weren't at all political. I think they did it more with allegory allegory instead of overt and that's what i'm talking politics about. i you're i right, think to say right. they're not political is completely ludicrous like all okay. sci-fi and is inherently political i think you're correct what i meant to say is that they're not actually just speaking out on these like rose did like with that heavy-handed this is evil this is bad and it just it it doesn't it doesn't land it doesn't strike you because it's it doesn't so make you question it. anything it, it it feels like someone's just telling you something instead of encouraging you to think or question. And my point is is because Star Wars is so light and dark literally the force has a light and a dark side and that's where Star Wars lives it doesn't live with that in that middle area too much I mean Luke kind of being just a you know, renouncing the Jedi Order sort of way or their way of things was as gray as it's ever gotten. You know, it's it's typically one or the other. But yeah, I think that Star Wars suffers that every time the something in the galaxy tries to get a little bit more specific or heavy handed like that, it falls flat because we just don't know enough about this world, about this galaxy, world, about this galaxy to to have it really hold weight. You you kind of have to focus on the moments you're in and what's happening. And and she kind of started to talk in broader strokes and it just it fell apart so I, w I would have dropped that i would have if we're going to this planet it would have, it would have been a lot punchier a lot faster a lot more effective and i mean maybe the conflict there is trying to convince the person they're after to, to join them like you said you had a lot of good stuff there and then getting back because once they get back they've got to get in to this ship and blow it up or shut it down i mean i like our fix i like i like the interdictor cruiser idea i'm really big on that like what if they can't go to hyperspace? What if by the time they shut it down, you know, the ship's out of the cruiser's out of fuel, so it can't jump to hyperspace anymore, and so it's almost a moot point. But wait, we're going to rush to this planet. We're going to set up for one last stand, and we're going to do what we can. And you know, they they do this. They can still do the sacrifice with the the light speed. You know, using the the Moncalman cruiser as a light speed missile. You know, and all that sort of stuff. There's so much that you could keep doing. You just have to you have to stop and consider the motives. And they didn't do that in this film a lot. It seems like a lot of the motives of this sub second story, the Finn Poe Rose story, were just, it was just, things happened because they said, well, we can't do this because this, and this is this now. And you're just like, wow, you're just like slapping me in the face with all of these like quick expository facts that narrow down your choices to you must do this one thing. And even then, I'm like, must you do that one thing? They're so, they're so just like ham-fisting it. So, Tom, I think we've really we've hit all of the main points. Like we said earlier, there's not a lot that needed fixing in this movie, but there were a couple main things that we definitely wanted to fix. Uh, now that we've talked about them, why don't you, in in your Tony fashion, give us the the pitch? What's the pitch for our new, you know, slightly better Last Jedi film? The pitch is, well, I mean, the elevator pitch is 
like the one you saw, but with a better space chase. I think that would be <laughs> be the elevator pitch. But no, that I certainly think... sums it up the 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 best. Mm-hmm. But I think if I were to like elaborate, we'd start out almost the same. I mean, it, it cuts to the action pretty quick. First order starts out coming down on the rebellion. They have to run away. I mean, it's just a constant run from them. Hence the chase. And except this time, they're more of an actual presence. They, they, they can, you know, they can't stand and fight. They, they have to retreat and fight. But this is keeping them alive. This is keeping the First Order at bay. Um, one of the, you know, things we would do is just have, like, more space combat. I don't know. I feel like the budget should be there for that. These, these, this movie made over a billion dollars. They knew it was going to make over a billion dollars. So spare no expense, in the words of John Hammond. And and keep that space chase, you know, full of lasers. And that's 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 really how we, we, we drive the first point home of there being a threat and keeping things interesting because the rebellion has options and they're they have they, they're effective. They have an effect on the first order. First order can't just, you know, charge in blindly or they would lose. So, you know, it's it's they're trying to win the war of attrition and you know, the rebellion's trying to come up with a fix before that happens. And that's that's where the tension comes in. That's where the timer is. It's not this timer of like, oh, we've got 15 hours of fuel. It's this, oh, if we keep fighting this way, we're going to lose, you know, and that's that's where exactly. Like, mm-hmm. and that's, yeah, that's, I think I think timers of attrition are always more interesting than actual timer, you know, you know? and mm-hmm. I, I guess one could argue there's an there's an attrition element to what they're talk- talking about running out of fuel. But I think really the the what's more interesting than running out of fuel is is d- their dwindling numbers. Well, dwindling numbers and exhaustion. Like I see, like Poe's out there fighting in his X-wing, but occasionally he's got to come back and like either rearm or maybe fuel up the fighters becomes a thing. But then you see him in the in the hangar, like he's had to fly in and reset, and he's you know you see the fatigue on him from that he's going to have to fly back oh, out yeah. there because well, it reminds no me. Of the the Battlestar Galactica episodes where they're being relentlessly pursued by the Cylons and everyone's just tired and they're sleeping in like twenty minute shifts when they can and like that that would be such an interesting take on on a Star Wars style battle mm-hmm. and just 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 uh, whereas there's so many ships for the First Order they're they're not suffering this nearly as much they're if anything just trying to fight with their own impatience which tends to be the the empire in the first order is like downflow in most cases anyway so yeah it, you know that in the meantime Ray's off doing stuff with luke and talking to kylo and all of that's happening just like it did so that when it finally comes down to the last the last hoorah when when it, it's now or never for the resistance if they're going to get away and, and start to live to fight another day like this battle has just been nonstop. I mean, it, it would almost be like you'd feel that as an audience, like the fatigue, so that the next movie you're just like, oh, man, can they even do that again? Just another long-out war? Like, there's got to be another solution. And that, that kind of becomes... That, like, segues into what the next movie has to be about is you can't just keep fighting forever. Like, it just it wears you down, mind, body, and soul. And, like, this is the movie that proves that point. It would be so much more poignant. Uh, and, he, and meanwhile, you've got, like, you're still loving everything that's happening with all our Jedi. And, you know, that storyline. So, like, man, this could, man, now we're saying that, this could, this could be amazing. What were they thinking? They just, they right. kind of, 
they phoned in half the movie. I'm very frustrated at them now. I've I've been really unforgiving. I mean, like a true Star Wars fan, unfortunately, I've been really unforgiving about this. Normally, we try to say, you know, we try to be more neutral in our judgment, but no, I just the answers were there. I wonder what happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely a big part of it was Ryan Johnson coming in and really wanting to shake things up and break mm-hmm. away from not just canon, but from just like how things are done. You know, that, that classic, like, this is how you do a Star Wars. And I think in some instances, like we've said, it worked really well. And in some instances, he's, he just sort of missed the point of Star Wars and missed the things that make Star Wars so great and lovable and cherished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you win some, you lose some. He... He definitely gave it a good run. So it's like I said, I can't I can't fault this movie for trying at for least sure. or for doing well. I, I fault it for not trying on all on all points. They were only firing on half cylinders. You know, they should have fire all thrusters, get moving, get fighting, make it happen, you know, go big. And, and it just it just, yeah, it fell flat. That's our that's our term for it. So this uh, this isn't really so much to do with movie fixing, but uh, real quick, what are you looking forward to in episode nine, the third and final movie of this new trilogy? Just uh, off the cuff, like, what are you looking forward to? It's funny you movie? say that, because I remember when this movie ended, I'm like, what's left? I felt like so much happened as far as, like, what where we stood at the end of Empire versus where we stand at the end of this one and I'm only comparing the two because they tend to follow the same the same pacing until the end of this movie it's like all that's really left is to bring down the first order and it looks like that's going to be by taking out Kylo Ren who's now appropriated it I mean there's I don't know who's to say if you take him out then why isn't Hux going to take charge and don't even get me started on that character. He's so confusing as a character. But it, I guess I'm I'm looking forward to seeing like Ray, kind of like Jedi out, like you know, just like Luke in in Return of the Jedi sort of showed up, and he knew he knew his shit at that point, and he knew what he was doing, uh, you know, for the most part, and he kind of went in, you know, and brought his A game. I'm I mean, Ray's been conflicted and trying to figure herself out and I'd, I'd like her to kind of lock down who she is and her place in all this and, and just bring it and just bring it full force because I love Ray, and uh, I'd love to see her just become that new figure of no this is what a this is what a a Banff Jedi looks like now full force I see what you did there thank you yeah I agree I think I think we're we're still waiting to see the fully realized Ray uh, that I'm very excited about after they did such a good job with Finn's character in force awakens. I was just so disappointed in pretty much his entire character development in this movie. So I'm hoping we get a nice like rebound for Finn in this one. And I still hold out that like Finn and Poe could certainly just be like space bros but I felt like they were driving home some real, like, actual romantic chemistry in that first one. There's a part of me that really still wants to see that go somewhere. Um, and I'd like to see some redemption for the Rose character. I think I don't fault the actress. I fault the writing. 
and I think she there's no way she's not going to be a part of the next movie. So I hope that with J.J. Abrams back at the the helm, we get uh, some something better for Rose. Right. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I, well, she, she she could be a a new face for leadership. She's definitely very inspired. She definitely has. Yeah, that's a very, great. Hopeful ideals. If she took like more of a, especially because there's like hardly anybody left. If she took more of a leadership role and really brought some of that like integrity she feels, yeah, to the that, voice of inspiration and in the rebellion, right? That'd be a she, great role for her. Mm-hmm. Like, like give it some some gravitas and in a place. Like everybody needs to find their place. I mean, Kylo kind of locked his down by the end of this movie. I feel like maybe there's still some conflict with him, but that's just because characters always have conflict. But I feel like he. He doubled down and, and stuck with the dark side, and now he's running it, and now he's going to be doing these things. And I, I would also like to see him kind of more solidified in his positioning, calmer, you know, less tantrumy. I mean, it, it, I, I like that he's been doing the tantrums now because he's just been so conflicted and out of control. But like to start to try and bring some like cool precision to make him like a villain, like a, like like an honest Star Wars villain at this point. Like we've seen the evolution of him go from you know, whiny brat to villain. And yeah. Not that he was a whiny brat in Force Awakens, but, you know, like, that's what everybody said Luke was in A New Hope in the beginning, and then by Jedi, he's, like, got it figured out. I just, I'd like to see the, the Sith version of that transition. Oh, I totally agree with you. Well, um, speaking of other movies, uh, do you want to go ahead, or do you even know what our next movie is? Of course I know, but, you know, for the audience, why don't you tell them? <laughs> that sounded very <laughs> convincing. Yes. Um, our next movie is another sequel. Uh, this is an, this is another sequel that, uh, man. Oh, just, no, I just remembered what it is. Yeah, uh, you did, didn't you? I can, I can feel it all the way through this call. Gross. Um, our next movie is X-Men 3, or X3 as it was called. Um, by most people, it's the third film in the X, the like original X Men trilogy, the one starring Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen and Hugh Jackman. Um, anything you want to say about this one, really quickly, just to, as kind of a teaser for what people are going to get into in our next episode? Duh. That sums it up. Um, my my hot take on this one is, and the thing I always remember about this movie that was like a learning moment for me was I loved the trailer, the original trailer for X three. It was cut so well. The music was perfect. It got me so hype for the third X-Men movie and then just didn't live up to that hype in theaters. There's many, many reasons that we'll go into in our next episode, but I think the takeaway that I, that I had in X three was that the art of cutting trailers and making movie trailers is a completely different beast than making movies. And that was, that was my learning experience with X3. We should do another mini podcast on um, movie trailers and what you just said right there, Ooh. expanded that. And also ex how trailers nowadays have become almost their own art. Like you've got apps like on your Apple TV and other places like on YouTube where you can just go watch a bunch of trailers and kill yeah. a half hour doing that easy. Well, in, the, in these studios, they know that people do that now. You know, it's mm. not like there was a time when I think going after trailers on the net on were on the net. How old do I sound right now? 
on Super the internet, old. right? <laughs> the net starring Sandra Bullock. Using your AOL uh, dial-up was, modem. Was kind of like niche, but now like everybody watches trailers. And the minute a, ta- a trailer come, you know, hits the internet, it gets shared, a, you know, a million times in five seconds. And you're right; it's it. Trailers are are are, are a unique beast nowadays. And I, I wouldn't mind having a chat about trailers because you know me; I love trailers. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what I've wanted to suggest is that we we present to our our awesome audience, you know, some topics we want to cover and see which ones maybe pique their interest the most, and we cover those first. There, there I like are a couple, that idea. Mm-hmm, there are a couple uh, I've I've listed out, and maybe we uh, we make a little survey or something and put that on our our on the Facebook or one of those social media things. We'll we'll figure that out, and then we'll let you guys know what we're doing there and see what you want to hear us talk about. Absolutely. Well, speaking of listeners, thank you, uh, listeners, for listening to this episode of Movie Fixers. I know we've gone a little longer today, but I hope you found it entertaining. Um, if you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with people, subscribe if you haven't already, um, and tune in for another episode later. Tony, is there anything you want to say to our loyal uh, listeners? I'd just like to go out and give a shout out to our executive producers, Hayden Smith and Chrissy Faith. Without them, we wouldn't be able to make up, uh, reasons for us to hang out and just talk to each other about movies like the old days. And, uh, yeah, just everybody who, uh, writes us in and gives us their take thank you so much for that uh, I, I love uh reading everybody else's opinions too and and it's just it's a lot of fun it's what it's all about it's just kind of having fun and discussing it all and and getting more points of view from a different point of view exactly well thanks everybody for listening tony thanks for sitting down and talking about star wars the last jedi with me i imagine this isn't the last star wars film we will talk about on this show um, we'll... I, can, I can see it through the force There will be another <laughs> That's not how the force works That's not how any of this works <laughs> <laughs> Alright everybody Thanks for listening We'll see you next time with X-Men 3 The Last Stand That is what that movie was called Goodness. Oh, looking forward to this one We'll see you next time everybody Bye